0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Hello and welcome to episode 377 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio film to documentary to high-end tv and everything in between how to get them made how to make them and how to try not to royally eff it up in our very very humble opinion i am giles alderson thank you so much for listening today on the show we have a special guest he's one of my filmmaking heroes he is the director J.A. Bayona. He's the director of movies such as The Orphanage, The Impossible, A Monster Calls, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, as well as the TV series Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. But recently, he has just brought out his latest film, Society of the Snow, which has been doing incredibly well on Netflix been talked about a lot and i think it's the number one film around the world uh, society of the snow is um it's a survival thriller film and it's an adaption uh adaption of pablo versi's book uh, of the same name society of the snow which documents the accounts of all 16 survivors of the crash many of whom vayersi knew from childhood Uh, The cast is composed of Uruguayan and Argentinian actors, most of whom are newcomers. Um, If you have watched the film on Netflix, or if you haven't, you've probably heard of this film before because it was was made in the past, a movie called Alive. Um, And Juan Antonio, or J.A. Bayona, touches on that in this interview. Why he wanted to create his own story and why this film meant so much to him i sat down and had an amazing chat with juan it was really wonderful i really enjoyed myself uh i could listen to him talk all day talk about making disaster films he he also talks about creating huge set pieces the plane crash is incredible it's unbelievably good um he talks about planning and shooting in the snow in the cold yeah that's right they pretty much shot all of this movie in the snow and in the cold how he creates tension why he storyboards and uses animatics why he likes actors creativity why he wanted to shoot chronologically and without cutting so basically he's doing a take and instead of cutting the cameras and going again you keep the actors in the zone keep them in the mode it's mainly because we're shooting in really small, tight areas to get the cameraman in and out, to get the actors in and out. No, they're in the zone. Keep going, keep going. It's, it's just wonderful to hear. Um, he also talks about why he wants actors to take risks and what a typical shoot date is like. Myself and Quan also talk about what the most important moment on set is. How the impossible kind of happened at the same time of Society of the Snow. And how he's changed as a director from when he made The Orphanage. This is a treat. Uh, there's no question about it. And it's not the only treat we've been giving you uh, in this new year. On Tuesday, we had the team behind Oppenheimer, Jennifer Lame, Ellie Morojnik, Louisa Abel and Jamie Lee McIntosh. Some amazing female filmmakers who have just been nominated for a BAFTA each. Yeah pretty amazing Um, and then before that we had George C. Wolfe the director of Rustin and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and then before that we had James Hawes the one life and slow horses director I mean what a start to the year and it only gets better because on Tuesday we have The Boys in the Boat producer Grant Hesloff yeah yeah that's a lot of podcasts that's a lot it is a lot it's a lot of editing but it's worth it because it's so good today's episode is so good and we will get to it very soon just wanted to let you know that we had the premiere for our documentary all town arm win that jack spring down all about groovy town fc uh, and we sold out five screens um at the premiere it was packed it was amazing it was brilliant the response has been incredible so thank you all those that have made the effort not only to come to the premiere but since watch it in the cinema because it's been pretty much packed out as well uh, in the week so far which is amazing it still is on and it's going to extend its run a little bit at the Parkway Cinema in Cleethorpe and it's also going to go on at Parkway Cinema in Beverly as well that's All Town Art not We Our documentary on Grimsby Town Football Club pretty cool uh, more news to follow where if you're not around Humberside where you can watch it I'll let you know soon anyway I hope you've had a really good start to the new year it's a slow start but it's positive 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 things are happening i hope they're happening for you they're trickling in people want to make movies again just talk be in those conversations just keep knocking on the door because do you know what that email you send that phone call you make that text could be at the right time because it is all about timing this industry hundred percent about timing and that's exactly what happened with juan antonio ja bayona when he met guillermo del toro at Sitges film festival it's all about timing ladies and gentlemen because that really helped for him to make his first feature film the orphanage anyway you'll hear about that in the episode well a little bit anyway we talk mainly about society of the snow which is incredible it's out now on netflix go watch it this evening and you'll be amazed by the filmmaking just delighted with how they made this movie and then jump on uh, juan's twitter page which is at film bayona uh, where he is doing so many behind the scenes clips images and gives you so much more information about how he made the movie but for now sit back relax and relish this episode with juan antonio bayona hello is it giles yeah hiya Oh, I've got Juan Antonio here for you. Perfect. Hello. Hey Juan, how are you? I'm good, and you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad at all.
0: Hey, would you like another tea or coffee or anything? I actually want to here. Yeah, okay, would well, you need anything just, just to give us a, look, a shout? Changing the frame. As, mm-hmm. you can tell, I'm a, I'm a as all
1: good directors should do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're matching clothes as well. Look at that. Bit of purple got today. That. Purple on the glasses. Look at us. I love it. How are you? You feeling okay?
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: I loved uh, Society of Snow. I had a real, real joyful, disturbing, um, wonderful evening watching it because it's so, uh, it's hopeful and traumatic and everything. But I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought it was wonderful. So well done.
0: Thank you so much. That's exciting. That's exactly the reaction. I was hoping. It must have been
1: something you thought, why? Because this is a film that, well, this story has been told before. um, Mm -hmm. But also, I think you wanted to put your slant on it, I take it. But then it is that weird situation for you because you want to make this film from this story. But also make sure that it is meaningful and have a point. Right, because it did it did have a point is that something you always set out to do here with this film?
0: you know it's very interesting when you do a true story because the the facts are not enough. You really need to provide, as you say a point of view, mm. a perspective a reading on the story that at some moment in the process it transcends. The story itself and becomes something more personal. And by doing so, you're able to make it more universal. Uh, and that was actually one of the biggest challenges in this film how to transcend the fact and make it more personal and more universal. And you need to think that this film is based upon a different book from the other versions. Uh, this is not Alive, since mm. Alive was written, uh, the, was published actually the, one year after the plane crash. And this is Society of the Snow, which is a book written 35 years after the plane crash. Mm. So it's more a meditation. It has the weight of time that had passed and has this more spiritual, not religious, but a spiritual approach. And that was the, the big challenge. How trans, how to translate that spiritual layer into, into the film.
1: Mm. You did it brilliantly. I think that that came across so well. I really cared massively about the characters. I really, really wanted them to survive. Um, first of all, I thought the... The plane crash itself was brilliantly done. Uh, I thought it was so well choreographed, so well executed. Um, obviously you've you've done disaster films in the past, and I put that disaster films in a a very very filmic way. As people will will like to pigeonhole things. But getting that plane scene right must have been really time-consuming and special. Can you talk us through how you planned that, specifically in terms of, obviously, there's a lot of stunts involved on Imaginal's imagine green screen. How did mm-hmm. you plan such a big sequence as that?
0: You know, it's, it follows the same methodology than the rest of the film, since it was based upon conversations with the survivors. Mm-hmm. We were very detailed. Uh, Actually, it was a big challenge to figure out what really happened because each survivor had a very different memory of what happened. Mm. That's interesting how, how the mind works in that situation. One survivor will tell you that there was a huge air bump the other one will tell you that it was not a huge one, but three small ones, you know. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, you know, like, like trying to really uh, figure out what happened, you know. Uh, Pablo Bierzi, the author of the book, is a journalist, and he came with this methodology. If three of them were in the scene and they agree uh, in, in what happened, that's what happened you know mm. so we basically had these long conversations we figured out what really happened um the only thing that we didn't know is what happened inside the cockpit and this is why we never go there right we, we know that it was a human error but we don't know exact the exact details of what happened so so we decided out of respect also not to get in there, but basically not only because of that, but also because we wanted to make it feel very immersive. So we stay with the characters inside the plane, not except cockpit. We stay with them, knowing exactly what they knew, which was very little. So not knowing and being inside most of the time, there are barely shots outside the plane. That creates a tension and a, a anxiety. Because the audience is like them, not knowing what's going on, and then talking to the survivors, all of them agree that the worst moment was um, the final crash after sliding in the snow. The final crash, Mm. Uh, the moment that that the the plane stopped and how the all the seats move forward, trapping them, creating this kind of like accordion of iron, Uh, and all of them. Experience this kind of like horrible situation that that we translate into the screen almost as if like like a like physical pain you know mm-hmm. we make it very physical you know mm-hmm. and, but that's but that's exact the exact methodology that we did not only in that sequence but in the whole thing, which was lots of interviews, care of detail, being immersive, stay with them no as much as they knew and, and try to be as physical as possible. Mm.
1: And with that, uh, is it storyboarded? You know, how do you like to work that way? Do you storyboard, especially big action sequences? Do you storyboard those, you know, almost within an inch of its life? And then when you get there, tweak it a bit, what's your process?
0: We, the, 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 plane crash was very technical mm. Uh, so that was storyboarded. We had an, an an animatic, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, so so we were following a plan, but for the rest of the film, I I was hoping for finding um, ideas, moments, visuals, images in in on set that will reflect the story in a much more meaningful way. So I allowed the actors to to explore. As we were telling the story, we gave them all the information because first of all, they were in contact with the survivors or the families of the disease. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And second, we provide them the context. So the snow was real. The cold was real. Mm -hmm. The hunger was real because they were following a street diet. Wow. Okay. Of isolation because they spent six months in Spain, very far away from their families and girlfriends. Mm. So, so we provided them the information, we provided them the context, and we gave them the chance. We gave them the space on set to to try things. You know, by doing so, we we there were some moments that 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 and in general the performance was really happening in front of camera, which is beautiful as a director to be able to get to that to that level of realism in front of camera.
1: That's amazing you did that. I, I was going to ask that question, you know, how real was it? And the fact that you said the actors, you know, spent that much time away from the homes, but also the diet situation as well, because I, I was watching it going, they look like they're losing weight. Their faces look gaunter. And I imagine you shot it in a certain way, certain times, so that they could come we across shot, that
0: way. We shot it chronologically in order mm. to... Work yes
1: yes and it does show and it's really clever and it's really nice that you did that i suppose that comes down to budget as well and you sort of go well look here's how we want to do this if we're going to do it right we need to shoot in order which obviously all first ad's and producers go well we can't afford that was that something you were kind of like look if i'm doing this project that is how i'm going to do it
0: yeah 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 that that was from the very beginning it was try to be as close as possible to reality so we had to shoot in, in Spanish with the Uruguayan accent Uruguayan accent from 1972 which is a very specific language mm-hmm. uh, and, and try to be as close as possible to the culture they were coming from the songs they were listening to mm, the kind of world they were living in like, like the you can see the the, um, the rugby mm. The scenes in the rugby, scenes in the church, scenes in the bar, you know, trying to understand who they were, you know, that was very important to be as close as possible to the, to their context.
1: Mm. And it comes across so well like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's like I say, it's so good to get inside these, the minds of these characters. And I, I feel that...
0: Because they are reacting to that, mm. that context. You know, they, they are somehow, the way they behave is because they are coming from from that context. All of them were at college. Some of them were studying medicine. Some of them were studying law. Uh, some of them believed in God. Some others didn't. And, and and this place later on, and when they talk about using the bodies of their friends, they had the the remarkable behavior of get to a consensus, talking about. Each one's perspective in a very calm way, which is so remarkable. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they had to react against that context. They had to, um, like broke ties with that culture, and have, and they had this journey of self discovery, where they really understand not only their shadows, in order. To become their best. Mm-hmm. There is a line from Daniel Fernandez Strauch, one of the survivors, who said, We were never better people than when we were in the mountains. So they had to go through that journey in order to be their best, their best. And by doing so, they had to cut ties with home and the culture they were coming from home. Mm-hmm. So the context was super important was very fundamental to understand not only what they did, but what they had to go through in, in that situation.
1: Mm. And, and how do you like to like get your actors into that space? Because it, it was, like I say, some of those performances and the journeys that they go on are, are incredible. Um, what is it that you like to do with your actors, not just on society of snow, but in general to get them in the zone, to get them in the mood, to get them in the right head space yeah. Like you said, they they were out in the cold a lot. They were out there in the elements, but also you still might be going back home to a hotel or at night. So how do you yeah. keep them in the right headspace to be able to perform uh, something that is so traumatic and is so removal from what they're normally doing?
0: You normally you try to support and help the performance by allowing them to experience Emotions that feel similar to what the emotions the characters are going through. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it's very important, the, the context. I ask um, each head of department to work for the performance. So to give you an example, they there were no green screen, So mm-hmm. they wow. were in real locations and they were not distracted by the green screen. You know, yes. so they... Also, we were shooting nonstop. We never say cut. Uh, ah, okay. I, I hate when you cut and you lose the energy of the actor, and especially yes. when you are in this intense context, you know? Mm. So we shot nonstop. And, and by doing so, I asked the Pedro Luque, the cinematographer, to allow the actors to move free on set and do whatever they felt was right at every moment. And by doing so, you can ask the actor to trust the process, to not be afraid of committing mistakes, to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sadly, if, if you provide the actors with the context, all the information, and the permission to commit risks, uh, suddenly you, you get to something sometimes that was not expected that and and takes the story, elevates the story to uh, a an, an unexpected place, you know? Mm. And to me the most rewarding moment when suddenly things that you don't expect and improve the script happen in front of the camera. Mm.
1: I love that. It's so immersive and exciting because, like I said, you've you know the
0: films you've worked on in the past. I imagine a bit, that's, but that's the word exciting because, mm. because it's very exciting when something that you don't expect improves the story. Yeah, and and that keeps the whole cast and the whole crew alarmed all the time because we are exploring. We're not just telling the story. We work in the script years so so we have a we we try to had a, a strong script but then you allowed the crew and the cast to explore and being all the time alert expecting to to improve the film on set mm,
1: which like you say keeps it exciting but also keeps the magic there because like you say sometimes when you cut and you go let's go again you can lose that magic that spark i think right. it's so important and it's wonderful to hear you say that how was it managing that on set then so the camera's just rolling would you come in and talk to the actors because obviously sometimes it was in very confined spaces as well inside the shell of the the airplane or it was under snow or it was under a rock or wherever they were so are you whispering are you coming across and yeah. you know talk us through what a typical day on a very difficult sh- shoot day would be like
0: yeah um it, it's it's exactly as you said. I mean, it's like uh, you, I try to be as close as possible to the actor. Sometimes it's not easy because the the space was so limited. Our set was very small. We had this fuselage that was like fourteen, thirteen meters long. It was with this steep of thirty five degrees, so you you were sliding all the time in there. Wow. Um, we had. Twenty-nine actors at the beginning, you know, but then the fuselage becomes half of it because after the avalanche, mm-hmm. the four meters turn into seven meters, uh-huh. really forty centimeters height, and and in that situation, suddenly we found ourselves being a nineteen actors, eight corpses, and two camera crews inside that space wow. so you you can imagine how hard it was sometimes to get close to the actors you mm-hmm. know but i managed i managed to be with them i managed to all the time uh, providing them what what i thought it was right you know one of the things i do normally is i i shoot a lot with music on set Okay. and and by doing so it's it's it creates some this kind of like mood that, that uh, not only for the actors allows them to understand what is the tone the mood we are looking for uh but also the the crew because it's, it's 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 um kind of there is this kind of magic when you when you are looking through the monitors and you are watching the scene with music playing because it it creates this kind of like mm. uh, like like Magic that suddenly all the crew is focused in what's going on in front of camera, and that also helps the actors to notice that the whole crew is focusing on them. You know, sometimes it's not like that, but the moment you play music and you, they look at the monitors or they look at the at the at what's going on in front of camera, you get that. You know, and suddenly there, there are funny funny moments where you suddenly turn turn back and you see like. <laughs> The, the cinematographer crying in front of them, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is like a way of telling you that everybody's into it, into, mm. the, into the moment. That, that's the thing, that to be into the moment, like it like doesn't matter how much homework you've ever done before getting to the set. It's the moment you have the camera in front of the actor. That doesn't matter how much budget do you have, how much have you have prepared the film. That is the most important moment. And you need to work for that moment to be always better of what you plan. So well put.
1: Um, and what about this with your crew as well? Selecting? actors but selecting your crew who are going to come on that journey with you. It obviously you're working with the same people sometimes as well, but when you're looking for someone new, what is it you look for? What is it you say to your crew and sometimes your actors of what you expect from them?
0: That that's a very good question because um I did a movie before called The Impossible. That was kind of we we both films were created were born more or less at the same time because I I discover Society of the Snow While I was researching The Impossible, The Impossible had no title at that moment. We were in pre-production. And it was Society of the Snow, the book, that provides me the title for The Impossible and gave me something very helpful in understanding the inner lives of the characters going through a survival situation. Uh, So these were projects born more or less at the same time, which was a huge challenge to face the work on this film, trying to make it look like different from the impossible. It was Mm -hmm. very different from the very beginning because the context is very different. You know, the impossible happened in 72 days. This happens in 72 hours and and this happens in 72 days. Uh, Geographic context is very different, you know. Um, But... But it but it was very important also to make the film look like different. And in that sense, I work with a different production designer, mm-hmm. I with a different cinematographer, who is Uruguayan. Mm. Uh, the moment you work with different people, the moment your style changes because it's a team effort and each one, each head of the department tries to approach the story. Also, from a very personal point of view, so 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 by working with different people, you will make it look like different. And 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 I and in that sense, I choose very different people, very different diff, different head of departments by very spe- specific reasons. For example, Pedro Luque was Uruguayan. By doing so, I was trying to avoid. Uh, there's a lot of movies shot in Latin America. Uh, by foreign people mm-hmm. that focus in this kind of in in the exotic, you know, like like they they look like like being seen by a tourist eye, you know.
1: Yes, I know what you mean. Yes,
0: and I was totally rejecting that by by mm-hmm. by having a Uruguayan cinematographer, I was avoiding that. I was looking the story from the inside, you know. He was he 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 speaks Spanish like me. He knew the culture very well, and he had gone through oh, some of uh, some of the most difficult films I've seen in my life. Like like for example, Don't Breathe. Yeah, That yeah, is amazing film, a movie shot in the dark all the time in yeah. in a, in a mm-hmm. single location that had a lot to do with things that we had to face in this one. So it felt like the perfect choice. So each head of the department was like was like that. You know, every 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 head of the department was chosen by very specific research.
1: What is it specifically you say to them? You know, you say, hey, listen, we're going to be cold on this one. Hey, are you going to be, you know, this is what I expect of you. Is there anything you ask of like that? Is that, you know, what you as a director want from your cast and crew?
0: Yeah, the cast was a little bit the same. I, I had extensive interviews with the survivors. We did more than mm-hmm. 50 hours of interviews before doing the auditions. And by doing so, I had a very specific idea of who they were,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's what I was looking for in the auditions. Yeah, not only some kind of uh, physical resemblance, you know, that I, that, I, that that it was fun to keep, but sometimes, um, yes, yeah. sometimes didn't work, but sometimes work. Uh, but also specific. Uh, the, the, I was looking for the the the, um, the, the character, you know, the personality. Yes and that's that was fun because we had a cast that had very similar personalities with the with the characters they were playing mm-hmm. for example we we had in the center of of our story we have Numa mm-hmm. and I was very very impressed about uh, Enzo's auditions he mm-hmm. has an incredible charisma in front of camera very much so he he's a very good actor very good actor but also i saw in the auditions that he had all the time this feeling which is not what's which was not true but he had that feeling that he was never he had that feeling that he was never doing enough that he and he was trying really hard you know mm. That's exactly what Numa was going through in the mountain. That he had that feeling all the time that he was not doing enough, and he was and and by by and he was facing that, trying always to make it better and better and better. And the more better he was doing it, the worse it was for him, you know. Right. And and I saw that that I saw that detail in the personality of Enzo. He was a, had a great charisma, great performance and he shared that feeling with numa that he all the time had this frustration of not doing enough so that helps you to get where you where where you want to go with the performance and you you really need to understand each of the characters in order to have the best cast to play to play with
1: mm. and and what looking back a little bit for us obviously for the orphanage which was a debut movie you'd made shorts before then as well what changed for you as a director um from the orphanage making that your debut yeah. movie to now society of snow what yeah. what what's worked for you and what hasn't worked for you as a director
0: i i think in general my my approach to stories are are, are i think i am more open now to explore a story i, I was very rigid in, in the orphanage in terms of uh what i was looking for which makes sense because when you start you feel more insecure. Mm-hmm. you try to hide that by imposing a vision mm. and the more you work uh, the more you lose um this kind of like uh fear this kind of like respect for the camera and you feel more free to explore and share your vision with your team, with your actors, with your crew, and in that sense, uh, this film was probably the the one that I was, I felt more free, in terms of the style, in terms of exploring the story. You know, I had the privilege of telling this story, and I had the privilege of telling it hand by hand with the actors and the real people who experience um, the 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 story. You know. So I was just open to, to, to explore and to try things and try to discover things that will provide me a new look, a new vision on the story on set. Mm.
1: And you think that comes, like you say, from experience, from confidence, from feeling it's okay, I have less to prove maybe? Yeah. Is that part of it?
0: Yeah. Also, you need to understand that, you know, every, every film that you do is a reaction to what, what, what you, where you're coming from. Mm. You know, and I was coming from doing Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and Lord of the Rings. That mm-hmm. I was at the service of big franchises uh, in a production, uh, in a in a kind of production that every everything is very every every step is very measured feels a little rigid, you know. Mm. So the society of the snow was a reaction to that. was, right. was like going back to to my roots as a filmmaker and and trying to put me in a situation where i felt all the time out of my comfort zone and by doing so i was open to explore and and find things and 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 that made make me feel so good you know like like like, mm. like being open to 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 the story in in such a different way I I felt really I felt I felt like very it was a very liberating experience for me Mm,
1: It sounds it as well Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken
0: sandwiches but there's only one McCrispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour This
1: episode is brought to you by Twizzlers just to be able to throw yourself into something you've care about, yeah. you've written, you've thought about since, you know, the impossible days and, you know, you get a chance to do that free. And I think that is wonderful with no name, you know, no stars as in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, in terms of America, Hollywood names, you were doing this with brilliant actors and you could just play. It felt that way. It felt like you were in a, a sandbox. And I, that's why the film is so alive and exciting. Yeah.
0: It's, it's tried to be, all the time, as much organic as you can. You know, it's it's like escape from the pre pre for preconception pre, preconcept ideas,
1: mm-hmm. preconceived
0: ideas, yeah, preconceived ideas, and be open to to the story, to the characters. And and explore, you know, that was fascinating. We 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 worked for for years in the script, and we we thought we had a solid script. But then we had this momentum with the actors in front of camera, with all the information they had from reading the book and the con- the connection with the survivors. Uh, so we were open to to take the story one step forward and beyond on set.
1: Mm we have so many uh, listeners uh, to the podcast all filmmakers mainly filmmakers or people who love film um what what's the one thing over your time as a director that y- the mistake that you made that you look back now and say ah i could have done that or i should have done something different what's the biggest hurdle you've overcome i suppose is the question that could help our filmmakers
0: yeah i mean i i see now like like yeah, i see that one of the things I, I had long conversations with the writers, yeah. of Society of the Snow. They they tr- they try all the time to change the fact in order to make make them look like more interesting in terms of the drama. Yes. Yeah. And you know it was so interesting that because we had the privilege of uh, doing two months of rehearsals, going scene by scene. And by, by doing so, we were rewriting the script. And it was very interesting that there were scenes that n- never work on the page, never, not, that never work in the rehearsals. And then I went back to the survivors and I discovered that the things like, like these scenes never happen in reality. All right. <laughs> I will give you an example. There is this very, very. I mean, if you're familiar with the with the story, after they hear on the radio that the search has been abandoned, uh, there is this conversation right after that. It's immediately, immediately after that, this conversation that Coco Nikolic gathers all of them together in the plane and tells them, "I have a good news, and bad news." the bad news is the search is over the good news is now we depend on us which is a beautiful it's a beautiful scene it's a, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful one. but it was always impossible to me in the rehearsals to get from the previous scene when they hear on the radio that the search is over to that scene i never understood how these characters were coming from this despair to being, mm-hmm. to being all of them together sitting or in, a, in in a, in a, in 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 their seats listening to coco like i i couldn't make the, that blocking work mm, they, yeah. i tried i tried in the rehearsals and it never worked it's like i i don't know how to get to from i mean then i i i called the survivors right and one of them told me you know that thing really never happened <laughs> that was an invention from one of us and it was so good that it stay in the story forever you know wow but 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 that never happened so so i really wanted to, to get into the essence of the story and being as close as reality as possible and that's what the work with the actors in the rehearsals rewriting the story nonstop allows us to to get to that essence that when everything was fa- anything was fake we could recognize it and get rid of it and in that sense, I, I told the, the writers, don't try to change the fact. Try to understand what they did, what, mm. what they did, you know? Uh, so, so it's that kind of preconceived ideas and this kind of being rigid onset that I'm trying to avoid the more and more uh, as, I, as, I, as I learn what, what, what is to work in this Mm,
1: that's that's beautiful um what was do you think was the thing and this is what a lot of our listeners care about is getting their first film made getting getting through the door getting the next one made after that what do you think it was for you that got the Mm -hmm. orphanage made uh, and then following on from that with the impossible as well but really why do you think you were picked what was it looking back now that made you you know, obviously, your relationship with Guillermo del Toro probably helped, but it's also there's more to it than that. So, why do you think you became a filmmaker? What was it that went from shorts to actually making features?
0: Yeah, well, I don't have a memory of me deciding to be a director. I mm. I don't remember that moment. It was always there.
1: Huh, really?
0: When I look back. I I remember. Watching, when I was a kid, very young kid, uh, day for night, François Truffaut's day for night, Mm -hmm. and then understanding that there was people making the films, you know, Mm. I I was that was a fascinating experience to me. I was probably like oh, like five, six, seven years old, you know, Mm -hmm. even younger, and watching that film, understanding that there was people making the films that mm. there was a director in charge of everything, you know, that felt fascinating to me. That's the the first memory to me of, of what, what was to be a director. Mm. And I always wanted to be a director. So, so m- to me, shooting a film uh, was a dream, you know, For, since I was a kid, you know, and, and I, you know, it, some directors will tell you that they had a camera when they were kids. I never had a camera. You know, I I I come from a working class family. I didn't get a camera until I was seventeen or something like that. Right. So so it, it took me a long time to get a camera. I will tell you the the first film I saw in my life was Superman. Right. I was okay. three four years old, mm-hmm. and after watching that film, I came back home, and I did a drawing, of of of. That scene, you see the train on 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 the rail tracks, yep. are broken, mm-hmm. and at, at the other side of the page, I draw Superman laying down mm-hmm. in the top of the um, of the train tracks, you know, uh-huh. and then I put that paper in front of a lamp, and I was th- three four years old, mm-hmm. and started to turn on and off the light, <laughs> uh-huh. and by doing so. Mm-hmm. Superman was appearing and disappearing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I was actually trying to shoot a film, Mm. not consciously. I was trying to create a a cinematic experience of that page. Yes. Of repeating that image in my mind.
1: Mm.
0: You know, at that time, there was no home video. No. 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 I didn't have a camera. So I was trying to repeat that experience at home. So I, it was always there. I wasn't. I was always attracted to this idea of recreating that same feeling on the on the screen. You know.
1: Mm. So I suppose for you, then, it was always that feeling of I am going to direct a film. So therefore, it just came naturally and felt natural when the orphanage happened. I take it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I met Guillermo del Toro in a film festival when I was sixteen, seventeen. And uh, I was uh, pretending to be a journalist to get uh, free tickets, Definitely. and yeah. doing so, they they forced me to interview directors, and I had the 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 great experience of interviewing people like 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 uh, Ray Harryhausen and wow. and Jodorowsky and uh, and then I met Guillermo, and and we became friends after that interview. He was very he was presenting Kronos, yeah, uh, his first film. Okay. So We became friends. Uh, he is always he always has an eye for newcomers, and Talent. he was my, my my short films, my music videos, and then the moment I I told him I was going to to do a film, he said I want to be part of it, and he made the the orphanage possible the way it was
1: it's amazing and it's such a beautiful story as is society of snow honestly congratulations you've made another amazing film another one that you've hit out of the park so congratulations i love your work always have i think you're a fantastic director so keep keep going i can't wait to see what you do next
0: thank you thank you so much
1: pleasure um by the way i know you're going to go now but we've worked together by the way i was in one of your adverts back when i was an actor um, and it was for a beer company when w- oh no when was the, that one in Spain I remember just being soaked I had to be under a big rain thing what's the uh, Miguel San Miguel I think it was for yeah San Miguel. San Miguel yeah we're in Spain
0: you were an actor there
1: yeah I was an actor in it yeah back when oh, I used wow. to do all that yeah so we have technically Miguel, up, worked yeah, together. But... You, you've done loads so you probably don't remember them all but yeah we were in yeah. Spain somewhere and yeah I remember getting soaked with a big water cannon and so we had loads of lines to say in this thing. (laughs) But anyway, um, thank you so much for your time. It's a real pleasure to have you on the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you, Juan. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks,
0: bye. Bye.
1: I told you, didn't I say it was going to be good? Didn't I say? (laughs) J.A. Bayona, ladies and gentlemen. What a guy. I gave up more of his time than he needed to we were being pushed to, to wrap, wrap it up <laughs> but he was like no one more um, it's just great so thank you for the PR team for, uh, for letting us do a little bit more and I hope you enjoyed that I hope you got so much out of that I know I did I feel so inspired now uh, to keep going on this filmmaking journey whatever medium it is in for you I hope you feel the same uh, if you enjoyed this listen go on our twitter at filmmakers pod and just tell us share it uh, and go on our instagram at filmmakers pod or if you really feel inspired then write to us thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com uh, and if you've released a film get in touch and hopefully we can get you on the podcast soon as well until Tuesday when Dom Noir sits down with Boys in the Boat producer and George Clooney's only producer Grant Hesloff um, but for now though Whatever you're doing, I hope it's productive and I hope you feel good about this industry because it can get you down and it can be really difficult sometimes. And I know it beats me down too, but that doesn't mean we can't take it. That means we put on our big boy or girl coat and just face it. So let's do that. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday.